Hey guys, it's Lori here. Just letting you know that this episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Learn more at csbible.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 92, take two, Broken and Beloved Pastors with Johnny and Amanda. Yes, hello. Welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast, where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone, every day. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I do have alongside me my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle expert, my husband, Matt Krieg. Thank you so much, my favorite host and wife. (laughs) (laughs) We mentioned a couple episodes about... uh, how I was not necessarily a favorite. You guys both have favorite things when I introduce you. Thanks, Matt. I feel seen. A little core needs shout out. Okay, we do have with us the ever faithful. Actually, I don't say a favorite word about you, do I, Steve? I, I most I, I don't professional. Know. I, mm-hmm. Yes, but it Which, doesn't say favorite. Well, that's my favorite way to be introduced. Okay, well, so <laughs> there you go. Well, the ever faithful and most professional radio voice among us, and our favorite <laughs> producer, Steve. Hi, favorite <laughs> podcast audience. Yay! It's that. That is very true. All right, favorite podcast audience. Today we are continuing our series called Take Two, where we are hitting up some of our favorite episodes from the last four seasons before starting season five this fall. Matt, who are we talking to today? Who are we hearing from? Today we're going back to the Broken and Beloved Pastors series with Johnny and Amanda's story and just such a good story about fall and redemption and just how God has worked in their marriage. And and one of the things that I really loved that Amanda gets into was just their their struggles as as a married couple with expectations of, of what that would look like especially when there was a medical condition that was kind of found out about with with her. Um, and just a place that we didn't expect kind of to go, but it was very valuable to hear. Yeah, this is worth a re-listen and is one of our most uh, listened to episodes. And you all are favorite. <laughs> I just can't stop saying it. <laughs> uh, audience, if you are a part of the Hold My Heart podcast Facebook group you requested to hear this one again and so Steve help us get to know Johnny and Amanda a little bit more yeah Johnny and Amanda McKenna they've been married 12 years they have three kids Jack and Javier and Charlie and uh, soon after they were married uh, uh, 10 years ago Johnny took the role of pastor for middle and high school students where he served for nine years he now works for a marketing company Amanda Uh, has mostly served alongside her husband in his pastoral role as a stay-at-home mom. She volunteers with us, and she cuts hair like a boss. (laughs) She does. Yeah, she does volunteer uh, for our ministry, and it's just, I cannot thank her enough for who she is and how much she gives. All right, guys, without further ado, let's dive in. All right, guys. Well, let's shift uh, to you, Johnny and Amanda. And we ask every guest this set of questions. And so this is kind of a brief version, essentially, of your testimony. Just when was the gospel first good news for you? That gospel being I'm more loved than I can imagine and more sinful than I believe. So when was it first good news for you? And how is it still? Amanda, let's start with you. Okay. Um, I was really young when I prayed with my mom, you know, the typical ask Jesus into your heart prayers. And I remember being so excited about that. And like, I don't know, growing up high school or middle school, high school, I was very close with God and, um, I didn't really have very good friends in my life. So he was more of like my friend, um, 
And yeah, I just, I had a very close relationship with him. And then in high school and college, made my faith my own. But I, I feel like hearing about the good news, I don't really, you don't really know what that means. Like, yeah, I know the gospel is good news, but like until, you know, just about a year ago when like my life just came crashing down, um, that's when I just really realized like, man, here I go. (laughs) Just what's bad news before you get to the good news. Yeah. Like when you realize like, um, man, God's grace and his, the undeserved grace and the loving kindness that he gives us and the power of the Holy spirit. And it just, I feel like the gospel has come more to life to me Mm. in this past year. Mm -hmm. So good. Thank you. How about you, Johnny? Uh, yeah, well, I, my story is, is, is a little different. I, I grew up in a very conservative setting, uh, like a, almost like a, a military school, just without the military, uh, mm-hmm. and just more Christian focus. So it was very performance-based, very like sin management kind of based. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember having a Sunday school teacher tell me uh, like how he views God. He's like, I view God. Like he's a, he's a police officer next to me. And like whenever I'm about to do something bad or when I do something bad, he, he like, you know, write me a ticket, you know, hmm. I was like, wow, that sounds like a great <laughs> God, wow, I guess. Wow. Like, I mean, it just sounds like, oh, I, I better always be careful. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm on the road and I see a cop, I'm immediately slowing down no matter. Yeah. I, I sit up straight. I mean, like my posture changes because <laughs> I, you know, that I don't matters. Wanna, get, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, maybe if he sees me <laughs> change yeah. my posture, I'm like, oh, he's all right. But <laughs> He's um, a stand-up dude. Yeah, this guy's all right. He doesn't need a ticket. <laughs> sit-up dude. Like, <laughs> dude. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, my so it was all about like, oh, pray this prayer. But for me, it was like, I better pray this prayer multiple times because did I mean it last time? Did I say it right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't living right. Or I, I did something that I knew I shouldn't have. And does that mean I'm not a Christian anymore? Or, you know, whatever it may be. So I'm like multiple times converted, like becoming a Christian so many mm-hmm. times. Every time I went to camp, every time there was a revival, old school term that my church would do. And, you know, all this stuff that like, it's like, oh, I need to like do this stuff. And it wasn't until college when I realized like, oh, there's also a grace side to Jesus and not just the truth and justice that the, you know, the, my original church was, was mm-hmm. pushing so hard on. They, I'm sure they spoke about grace and I'm sure they spoke about that stuff. But the message I received as, as a, you know, teenager and young guy growing up was like truth and justice only and Mm. God's wrath only instead of like, Mm -hmm. oh, and oh yeah, he also like is a police officer that loves you unconditionally. Like, you know, totally different than the police officer that's just trying to bust you for doing something wrong. Mm. So, I mean, that's when things really took off for me in college when I, when I finally understood uh, what it meant to like experience grace. Um, it's obviously still good news for me because I've, I've screwed up so much um, mm. in my life. And um, one, one of the ways that I've kind of realized, like, how, how do you balance, like, grace with, like, how you live? Um, I think it was Kara Powell that talks about, like, the 4G gospel. And the last way that you live your life when you respond to the gospel is, is through gratitude or living your life like one big thank you note back to God. So, like, I mean, when you're grateful for something, you know, you, you respond in, in, in some way. And the debt that Jesus paid is is immense. And so how can we not live in a way that he's asking or calling us to live this this better life in general? Um, So Mm -hmm. 
I that's what I would do is my best to live this life of gratitude. And I was not writing the best thank you note with my life the past two years. I was basically, you know, the the high school kid that was forced to write the thank you note that after high school graduation, it's like, <laughs> all right, his heart's probably in the right place, I hope. Like, yeah. <laughs> he wrote it because he had to, you know, kind of a thing. And um, so that that's where I was at. But realizing, like, you know, God didn't look at me and be like, well, I'm done with you or I'm, over, you know, it's, mm-hmm. well, I guess you don't deserve this or I'm taking this away from you or wh- whatever it is. But it was um, uh, just realizing, like, you know, God has still rescued you. He still views you the same. He still loves you. If anything, God can use you in such a powerful way if you allow him to after this it, once you're once you've you know done what he's asking you to do and be restored so mm-hmm. yeah that's so good so johnny you've alluded to this rescue that god has done for you and um like i just i just remember when things came down amanda you're re- talking about like the year ago this hard year mm-hmm. I remember seeing some things online and I didn't ask questions other just than just reach out and say like, love you guys, no matter what. But I could tell, I was guessing it was probably sexuality something. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us, you just told us the like, I feel like arc plot of God's rescue of you, but what's the more specific wrestling that you walked through with your sexuality? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I mean, it was it was a lot, um, but a lot of it stemmed from uh, pornography yeah. that was never addressed when it reared its head. So when I was young, um, probably middle school-ish age is when, or earlier really, I, 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 I feel like my sexuality, if that's the right word, or like my interest in sex was... Uh, peaked and opened up way too early Mm. I don't know if that was because I was the middle of five kids and having older siblings or because I saw things I shouldn't have seen through movies that maybe I shouldn't have been watching but um, I just remember being awakened to it early Um, and looking back now I feel like wow that was really early on on being open to it, which... Like how old? I mean, single digits for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing, see, being interested in, in women in some way on like their, their form, their bodies, their, seeing them naked, like this was appealing to me as, I don't know, probably, I want to say eight, nine, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe younger. I, yeah. I don't have a specific date, but I know it was like, man, like this was something that I, I saw and it wasn't like, Oh, what do I do with that? It was I I want to see more mm-hmm. of yeah, this? Or, yeah. You know what what more is there out there? And you know I was obviously pretty naive to what was out there at the time, but I knew like I'm interested in this. I want to yeah. I want to keep seeing this. So it started with you know finding um, movies my parents had um, and that had nudity in them, and then like finding times to watch them to. Um, talking with my friends about uh, things that we have seen or movies that had nudity or, mm-hmm. you know, certain sex scenes that were like, oh man, this one, you got to watch this one or, or whatever it may be. And um, then, I mean, even like, I remember a friend like stealing like a VHS tape that was like, not necessarily like a full on adult pornography movie, maybe like something kind of soft core, I mm-hmm. guess, and stealing that and like giving it to me and 
uh, it was, I think, middle school when I got caught with it by, by mom. And in fact, twice, she caught me two times. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time it was with the use of the computer. Um, you know, computers, when we had them, was newer. Internet was newer. It was all about the dangers of the chat room and how scary it is to talk to a stranger mm-hmm. and, and all that. And, you know, now we ask a stranger to come pick us up in a car <laughs> through the internet, which is crazy, but... Yeah, um, through Uber, yeah, like exactly. legit like, ways, yeah. Yeah, like summon a stranger from the internet to come pick you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but back then I was like, that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I knew like this was a gateway to that. And so I sought it out and found it. My mom caught me and I just remember feeling immense guilt and shame about like, oh, I've just been caught knowing, looking at something I knew wasn't right. I mean, I went to a Christian school that I think the most it was ever talked about when it came to sex or pornography was just like very negative, very brief over. Yeah. Um, it was not any kind of like, and here's like how beautiful like this gift is or why it's important to wait or, you know, it was all just like, just don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. Like, yeah, exactly. You'll die. You'll, you'll get an STD and die kind of thing. (laughs) Um, so getting caught by my mom, um, and I remember just begging her, like, please don't tell my dad, please, please don't tell him. And I don't even know why I was like really so adamant against him finding out. I mean, I think now maybe it, it could have stemmed from just like, this was like the one man in my life that like, I cared about what he thought of Mm me and like, um, I had a a strong relationship with as far as like he loved me and I loved him and like having my mom catch me was bad enough I think I was just scared of one my dad's response and his anger and his wrath Mm -hmm. which I think goes along with my fear of God in that same vein of like I'm scared that what God's wrath will look like and so I begged her not to do that both times that I got caught and she didn't for whatever reason and the conversation after getting caught was very brief again never brought up again, never asked again, never like, let's, you know, and I'm, you know, and I'm sure I, I tried to paint it both times as like, this is the first time or like, you know, I've, oh my gosh, it just came up, you know, and like, you know, you're trying to paint yourself as like, I can't believe this mm-hmm. is there. And, um, but you know, didn't, I'm sure I wasn't fully honest, but I also didn't really get the help that mm-hmm. I wish I would have received then of like, let's, talk about accountability or get you into some sort of, I don't know, conversation with someone that might be able to help you with that or whether it be a professional or a pastor or mentor, you know, someone to just like, hey man, obviously you're looking at stuff, like you need to. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. It makes, as you're sharing your story, it makes sense being in such a hyperactively rigid home that pornography would even be a draw because it's mm. safety it like hits that need like for like it it releases a boatload of like peaceful hormones when you are aroused and so it makes sense it may be a piece of this like just in your rigid home that it was almost like a happy vacation for you even though all it did by drinking from the toilet water like it 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 created more shame in you and so you had to like keep going back and back and back so it's like it almost kept imprisoning you further inside your own like very rigid home right does that resonate with you 
Oh, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, another aspect of it was like with the God, with my view of God being like, you know, here's the standard. Do you measure up? Like mm. constantly feeling like I don't measure up because I failed in this way mm-hmm. or that way. I mean, pick a way, you know, you, any message you hear, you could probably apply it to your life in some way, right? Like, oh yeah, I struggle with that in some way, whether it's big or small. And when, yeah. you know, when you're young, you kind of don't have as much grace for yourself. You're just like, oh yeah, I screwed up. I'm an idiot or, you know, just a lot of ne- uh, negative self-talk, uh, at least for me, was it was huge. So I constantly felt like I didn't measure up. And so pornography was an escape for me of that feeling of like, finally, I don't have to feel that for at least a moment. But mm-hmm. then, you know, after that moment's over, like you were saying, it was like, now I'm right back where I started. Now I feel worse. worse so now I need it the not more measuring up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to feel better. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So you grew up in this this rigid, very, very kind of policing. God is a policeman who's looking to, to catch you doing bad, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you came from this rigid kind of performance to measure up background, yeah, right. you know, and you, you go to this place as a, as a pastor that, and not, not necessarily the church you were in, just pastorhood in general is very like, you got to maintain an image. You got to look right. You have to do the performance, or that's the that's the pressure that a lot of pastors feel is like mm-hmm. you have to do the performance, yep. and so it, it makes sense that for someone who learned as a young kid, kind of how to perform, mm-hmm. even though he was in the midst of you know you were in the midst of not feel like knowing you didn't measure up and feeling it, that that you ended up in this kind of high pressure, high performance kind of setting as mm-hmm. a job. Um, was pastoring for you something that was like, I don't want to say to make up for the mistakes that you made, but it was almost like a, a, a penance of some sort. Like if I can just start to be good enough now hmm. to, to make up for, for, for some of the, the stuff, the mistakes that you had made that you felt like this weighing on you, am I enough? Am I ever going to measure sure. up? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. And I, I honestly wouldn't doubt there's, there's plenty of that in there. Uh, for me, I'm just like, yeah, like this is a way for me to give back. I feel like some of my motivations to be a pastor weren't necessarily like, you know, what you'd want in a pastor. <laughs> be like, oh, this is why you became a pastor. I know for me, mm-hmm. some of, a lot of it was like, oh, I did not like my church growing up. I did not like my church setting growing up. I did not like my youth group growing up. And so I felt like, you know, is there a way for me to, to do this? And I, I went to two Christian schools, two Christian colleges post high school. The first one, just another like very (laughs) military Christian school without the military. Um, And then transferring to another one that I think helped balance me out so much more. Um, But uh, yeah, my my motivation was like, oh, I want to be better at this. And I I feel like I, I had a draw to being a pastor or a draw to being a pastor. I think part of it for me too was like, I like talking to people. I like, I was relational and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, th- and I think, and two with my home life being what it was. So religious wise, we were very much like, Hey, like, uh, you know, put on the right face, but at home things were falling apart. Like my dad was in and out of rehabs through most of my life for all sorts of addictions, whether it be, you know, hard drugs to alcohol. I mean, he was in rehab for, I mean, just about every, every drug you can go to dr- rehab for. Mm. And, um, you know, my mom, you know, had, had plenty of issues as well, not to like paint her in a, in a negative light or anything, but I know like in a marriage, it's, there's two of you 
going at it and I'm, I know my dad brought plenty to the table when it came mm-hmm. to his his side of things so but for my mom I, th- I think in my dad my my dad showed me like man like he's screwing up and like living in a crazy way but my mom showed me the hiding aspect of it mm. so how do I put on the right face how do I make it look like nothing's wrong how do mm. I dodge questions or make it sound like things are fine so I became an expert at hiding mm. like mm. through through example but also I mean I think all of us are I mean that's what Adam and Eve the second they mm. were you know got mm. caught like oh run away and hide like mm. I mean I think that's in all of our natures but mm. it was for mm. sure um something that I got really good at. Mm. Mm. So to backtrack a little bit, you guys, you grew up, so you had this addiction, you had this double life, essentially Mm -hmm. training that you (laughs) got and a boot camp at your home life. And then you go to a Christian university where you meet Amanda. Mm -hmm. Um, Amanda, what'd you think of Johnny when you met him? (laughs) Um, I had like a crush on him, like secretly for, I don't know. The first time I saw him, I don't walking down a sidewalk and he had, I don't know. I just was like, that boy is cute. But (laughs) I remember thinking like, he'll never notice me. Um, And so, yeah, like once he did notice me, it was like towards the end of the first semester. And um, I could tell because like he locked eyes with me and he was working at the coffee shop. Oh no. And (laughs) my friend was ordering some drink and I was only with my friend. I wasn't getting anything myself, but he looked at me and was like, do you want anything? And I was just, I just shook my head. I couldn't even talk. I was so shy. Um, But no, I mean, we ended up having a class together our, my second semester there and it was interpersonal relationships and ministry. Oh, stop. <laughs> and interpersonal. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that's when he, he would just try to talk to me um, before class, after class. You know, AOL Messenger was oh, yeah. huge. Mm. So he Early got my... Yeah. Yeah. So many relationships begin and end it. The screen names, yeah. yeah. So he asked for my screen name and then we started talking. <laughs> and, the dangers um, of the chat room again. Yep, I know, right? It's uh, a part of my story. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so we got to know each other. We were both super shy so both of our friends had to kind of push us to actually talk to each other. Um, but I was always like very cautious because I could tell he had a lot of friends that were girls and I didn't really know like am I just another friend or do I mean more I don't know so but he he pursued me I was kind of at a point in my life where I didn't want to like be boy crazy and always you know so I I remember I even prayed like God just bring the right person into my life I don't want to be you know I want to be pursued and that's exactly what happened he he just pursued me and I had never dated before, and when I told that to Johnny, like, he didn't use that information for, I mean, he just, he just treated me so good, Mm -hmm. and, like, even when, it took him forever to tell me that he liked me, and then, um, he, even at that point, he was like, I, I don't want to go too fast, you know, I want to get to know you and make sure that we're good for each other, because I don't want to hurt you, um, And so, like, and I just knew from his heart, like, just, he has such a compassionate heart towards others and just seeing how he treated people on campus and 
and how he treated me and also just hearing about his his broken family at home like and just his heart for ministry just I was really impressed with him and his love for God and so I knew pretty pretty fast like I think I'm gonna marry this guy and um yeah I don't know if he knew right away but I was just very like this is the guy for me so um and he was as you guys were getting to that marriage phase um Johnny were you wrestling with pornography and stuff then yeah so um in college it, it just looked a little different um so my first two years at my first school I knew if I looked at pornography I would be kicked out yeah they could tell yeah internet oh, yeah. search yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. so I I did not look at internet pornography plus like um computers were a little less ubiquitous mm-hmm. at that point mm-hmm. and I had a desktop but I was just like you know mm-hmm. I, I used it for whatever I needed to and didn't use it for anything else um, but I, but still, while in college, masturbation was a huge issue for me. Mm-hmm. It, even still in that two years, I didn't use pornography, but I still was struggling with that for mm-hmm. the entire two years. And then when I wasn't in school, then yeah, the pornography kicked right back up. And then when I went to my second uh, school, the Christian university, they, um, they were able to tell, like, you know, if you were looking at, looking at pornography and, um, I didn't jump into it very quickly because I thought like, oh, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then like, I kind of toyed with it a little bit just to like, I did a few times just to see like, is someone going to talk to me? What's it going to be like? From what I knew you wouldn't get kicked out. So I waited and no one talked to me. And so I was like, oh, maybe that was a myth. Maybe they don't, maybe, you know, and then things just, that just opened up the floodgates mm-hmm. uh, for me and just constantly probably as as many times as I could throughout the day looking at looking at it and um finally someone did talk to me which was very helpful so when you guys were about to get married what was a lie you believed about specifically sexuality in your marriage mm-hmm. I I would say for me I mean I I thought it was going to be amazing like oh finally like I can have sex and it's going to be like the greatest thing ever and all what I've been told that I have to wait for is finally like I'm able to to do that and, and have sex did you think it would fix the porn problems oh absolutely like yeah. now that I can have sex it's why why would I even need pornography mm-hmm. and he I don't he didn't mention this but like he did while we were dating tell me about like his past with girls mm-hmm. um things that he had done and then also his use of pornography and it it did shock me but for me, it was just like, well, that's not who he is anymore, you know. And it was past tense. Yeah, like, you know, he's different, he's changed. And um, and I think when we were engaged, he had told me that he was still looking at porn. And I think then is when it hit me harder. And I um, was very hurt by that and felt like, man, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why am I not enough? And um, I just told him, like, you you need to figure something out with this. And that's the point when he had gotten more accountability. Um, he had protection on his devices. He, mm-hmm. he was doing much better. And I would check in with him throughout even our whole nine years of marriage before things came out. Like I would check in with him every now and then asking him like, how are you doing? Are you struggling? Um, that kind of thing. But for me, a lie that I believed with um, sex was that 
you know, it should work out. It should be perfect. It should be like the movie's passionate and romantic and pleasurable. Um, and then when it didn't work out for us, um, and when I say that, I mean, we could not have sex for two years of our marriage. Um, and I, you know, I was so ashamed. I didn't know like what's wrong with me. Like, am what's wrong with my body. I didn't understand it. It was something so like hard and embarrassing to talk about with people. Um, so I think the first year it was just, I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know. i just felt so helpless. And I, one of the first breakthroughs for me was, um, watching a Tyra Banks show and seeing (laughs) seeing other women on that show that had similar issues and it just like encouraged me so much um because you feel so alone in that struggle um and I had my sisters I talked to and friends but like they didn't really deal with that so you know it's it's hard when you're alone in like what you're dealing with so um Anyways, I ended up, you know, looking online. I found out the medical term for it is vaginismus. And um, we got a book about it. We got some dilators. I had to, you know, learn a lot. Um, That book alone was just such an encouragement because there's testimonials of women who have had it for years. And then um, over time, we're able to overcome it and... So alone reading those testimonials were so was so impactful for me. Um, and I just felt encouraged to really go at it and to really overcome it. So I worked really hard to um, to get my body used to everything. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I found a nurse that did affirm it too because one nurse I talked to just made me feel stupid when I told her about like this is what I'm experiencing um and she was no help um so another nurse I finally found she just was like yes this is an actual thing thousands of women deal with it um she's like you're doing everything you need to do and she's like just keep at it Mm -hmm. because just like when you exercise if you take a break from exercising it's harder you have to get back in it she's like that's the same thing for this condition is you have to keep at it otherwise all the progress you made you're gonna lose Mm -hmm. and it's gonna be painful and so um she actually told me drink some alcohol relax (laughs) take a bath like she prescribed some numbing cream like she just was so encouraging for me and I just remember leaving there feeling so empowered and feeling like Mm. I can do this Mm. and I I don't think it was that long afterwards that um we were able to have sex and um it still like was not anything like how it's you not picture what they put it. In the movies. No. <laughs> it, I mean, for us, it was just like this long process of like, okay, first I'm going to drink to relax, and then I got to put this numbing cream on, and then I got to maybe use a dilator or whatever. And then, so it was just like, it was not this romantic, spontaneous thing that like you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. All throughout this process, Johnny was very supportive. He never made me feel bad about it. He never, um, 
pushed me. He never threatened that he was going to leave me. He told me and reassured me, like, I didn't marry you just for sex. I love you. That's why I married you. Um, and during this time, my sister would actually say to me, like, Amanda, you got to figure this out because, you know, if if you don't take care of his needs, he could go elsewhere. Mm. And at the time, that was really hard for me to hear because mm-hmm. it's like, what do you think? Like, I want this to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, but um, I think I was so naive to um, just porn and the addictive qualities of it and what it does to a male brain, but also just naive and thinking like no he's stronger than that we're stronger than that nothing we're untouchable you know Mm -hmm. like I just didn't think that anything would interfere um Mm -hmm. with you know the love that we had Mm -hmm. so ideally with this medical hiccup it would have been that Johnny just is able to sustain through the Holy Spirit and just able to just love and care for you and and really model exactly the words that you were speaking, Johnny, like, I am with you, this Mm -hmm. sex is not a priority. And, you know, we talk often on this podcast about how, oh man, I've talked about how we're working on our metaphor, essentially, just how oneness, physical, emotional, spiritual in marriage is to metaphor God's oneness desire for us physical, emotional, spiritual, like how God wants to be one of those. So you're working on it. So ideally you would have been doing exactly what you were envisioning. Was that the case, Johnny? Yeah. I mean, I, at first it was when she said, told me like, you know, it may not even be possible for me to have sex. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, right. You know, like I'm thinking like, it's, Mm -hmm. it's going to be fine. It's going to work out. I'm just thinking like, you know, she's naive. She's like this beautiful, like innocent, wonderful woman that just has no idea. Like, Mm -hmm our bodies are made for this. Yeah. It's going to work out. And then when it didn't work out, I was like, just convinced like this was God's punishment on me for all of my sexual brokenness. So from, for the pornography use when I was growing up to uh, before Amanda, I didn't really necessarily date girls. I just was trying to be as physical as I could with them without having sex. So I stayed kind of within that Christian yeah, yeah. boundary of mm-hmm. like, oh, I didn't have sex, but mm-hmm. I'm trying really hard to like do everything I can that isn't technically sex. Yeah. And um, Amanda was the first girl I actually was like, oh, I can't screw this up. Like she's actually like worth trying for. And um, I, yeah, I thought like, you know, this is, this is God's way of being like, yeah, man, this is what you get because, you know, you thought you were going to be fine. You thought you wouldn't you, you you could have sex and you wouldn't need porn, but now like now you can't have sex with your wife. Like you should have should have lived differently. Mm-hmm. And so like you know with that discouragement and with like feeling isolated, like during this time I had lost my job at the church I was at because of budget cuts, and then I was working another job and got and I at, at the original church I was at I had awesome accountability, awesome like stuff going on. My life was in a really great place. Then lost my job just before we got married, then started a new job just after we got married while this all came out of like, we can't have sex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so lost my accountability, got a new computer thinking like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm past like this porn stuff. I'm in a way better place. I'm going to be fine. I don't need to like get any kind of software on it. I'm going to be fine. And, you know, at, at my new job and my new community, I don't have someone, I didn't have someone, I didn't seek out someone to have that accountability relationship with thinking like I'll be fine and then be as a result of just feeling like discouraged depressed sad like 
I started dipping my toes back into pornography. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I honestly meant those words to Amanda of like, I didn't marry you because like, oh, I thought it was going to be the sex festival like for the whole time. Yeah. Like, no, I, I married you because I love you. Sex is a great perk, but like not like the sole reason. So, I mean, I, yeah, it, it was hard though when obviously I realized like mm -hmm. this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was supposed to be. Yeah. So you're in this, you're in this place of understandably like deep disappointment and confusion and just, and Amanda, you're dealing with shame and both of you are in a new community, mm -hmm. you know, a, a different city from, from where you were at before. So, so no accountability, no real place where you knew, like I can go and talk and I can, I can be received. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, Johnny, you quickly turn to, to pornography to, to escape the pain and the isolation and to feel something. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we've, we've had conversations before and were, were there moments, I, I guess, in the first few years of kind of this new space where, where things kind of just deepened? Yeah. I mean, the, like, obviously not having, having sex for the first two years was just like, it was hard. And so like when things didn't work out or when I felt discouraged, like, or when, even when like Amanda was getting better or getting towards like, Oh, we can try, we can try. Like I'm thinking like I felt dirty and disgusting because mm. I didn't want, mm. I felt bad that like, Oh, I'm, I'm approaching her and she's trying so hard for me to do everything she can to make this work. And here I am like behind her back, just doing these things and just feeling disgusting. And like, you know, that, that changed like my, my sexual appetite, I guess, towards her because I'm fulfilling my needs somewhere else. And then mm. like, being with her isn't what it's supposed to be because I feel ashamed instead mm -hmm. of this is, this is what, where it, this is where I'm supposed to turn for my sexual needs is my wife. Mm. And, um, you know, that cycle just started up and spinning and spinning and spinning and things got out of hand. I mean, and then things, I mean, a, a multitude of things happened, which began quite a spiral. Um, there was a pastor in our church that, um, got in trouble for do like was on the news for like some sexual misconduct essentially it wasn't with any kids or anything, but he um, was on the news. And so he lost his job and was brought in front of the church and like, you know, it was a, a big deal. And so here I am like, Oh, this is what happens. Like if, yeah. you know, you come out and tell people like what's going on and granted his story was different than mine, but at the same time, you know, not you're not so thinking, different. Not so a different. pastor, mm -hmm. sexual yeah. misconduct, right. publicly, it's, seemingly shamed in, from what you saw, at least. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I knew like, yeah, all right, you come out with this. This is, this is your future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then begins, of course, the cycle of what every addict says is like, this is the last time. Yeah. This is the last mm -hmm. time. This is the last time. Yeah. Not too much longer, two years into our marriage, my, my father dies. And that sends me into quite a spiral of like, just so much of mm -hmm. who am I? What am I doing with my life? Am I supposed to be a pastor? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, Amanda and I talked about all sorts of dreams of like maybe being missionaries or maybe, you know, doing other things or maybe I would, you know, I love art and photography and design and like, should I be pursuing that right now? And, you know, all of a sudden I'm, I'm having just an identity crisis on top of secret sexual sin on top of just everything that's going on with pressures mounting at work as I'm trying to grow a ministry and mm. it's, you know, I mean, all of these like are 
are all hard things that I know all everyone has pressures and hard things that happen in life. And I, I also want people to know too, like these aren't my excuses as mm-hmm. to why things went. I still made choices. I still did these things. It's not me being like, and, and that's why if it wasn't for all this, I would have been fine. No, um, we don't hear excuses. We hear like relatability yeah. because we all have, yeah, the high pressure areas and we all escape somewhere. So mm-hmm. you're just telling us your version of escape yeah. mm-hmm. and every man around this table has wrestled with exactly where you have. Mm-hmm. Hey, Matt, Steve. Uh-huh. Yes. You want to hear something cool? Sure. What is it? So we were in our real life small group the other week and Matt volunteered to read something from the Bible. Okay. Yeah, I read it. And do you know what happened? What? I got asked the question, what translation is that? Our friends loved it. Which one was it, Matt? <laughs> the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. <laughs> no kidding. The one that's been sponsoring the podcast. So you guys actually read it in real life. Yeah, we really like how it reads. We're so familiar with things like the NIV and the ESV and NLT, which we love. But the Bible can sadly become kind of like white noise to us. Yeah. I've really appreciated how the CSB is both familiar, but also fresh and new. Yeah. That is really cool, guys. It is. So if you guys listening want to shake up your usual reading routine with a high scholarship translation that is familiar yet new, hit up csbible.com to see all of what the Christian Standard Bible has to offer. So let's fast forward. So Amanda, you know none of this, right? Right. Of what's going on. I have no idea. No idea. Mm-hmm. You guys are serving in ministry now. You're mm-hmm. a youth pastor. You're well loved. Like, mm-hmm. And again, you're kind of living out the model you got in childhood, which was perform high pressure and then secretly get your heart needs met really is what it is. It's not even like sexual, it's here or there, honestly, get your heart needs met in this other place, even though anything outside of God invites shame. So there you are living Mm -hmm. this double life. So Amanda, between, you know, you got your healing physically and you guys are able to be together and, Johnny, you're wrestling with this shame and this double life, essentially. Mm -hmm. Amanda, how are you feeling about your marriage between, I guess, the ability to be connected physically and then what we'll call the confession that we'll talk about at nine years? I think I was disappointed and um, confused because, you know, supposedly men have needs and you know they think about sex and it's such a priority for them but I didn't feel pursued by my husband and I remember multiple times in our marriage just sitting down with him and saying like why don't you initiate just you know having sex more why don't you initiate like physical you know just kissing touching like Mm -hmm. I feel like it was always on me and it's just like is that normal? Like, is it just because all the years that we couldn't do things, um, you know, is that because he just didn't like realize, like he's not used to the regular pattern or whatever. And, um, and so, and sometimes he would tell me like, well, you know, because I know it hurts you. And so I don't, you know, I don't want to hurt you. And I know that sex, you know, is painful for you sometimes. And so, um, you know, in my mind, that made sense. Like, okay, he's, he's used to this because this is what it was. And like, he feels bad for me. And so I just thought it was our normal, but inwardly I was very disappointed. I was frustrated. I I did not feel pursued, um, or loved. 
um, towards the end, I, I think there's this growing sense of like something is wrong. And, um, yeah, there was this, just a lot of sleepwalking happening, a lot of, um, yeah, just weird occurrences of him like blacking out and not remembering something, Mm -hmm. um, worse, like his, his health was getting worse and worse. Like he was gaining more weight and it just didn't make sense to me because he wouldn't eat a lot. So I didn't understand like what's happening. I started to feel like I'm not even attracted to this man anymore. I don't feel connected to him. Um, like part of the attraction is just like, you know, you want to like your husband and feel like you're connected. And a lot of times I was just annoyed with him and annoyed at like his behaviors and our communication just got worse and worse. Like so many fights over the same things. Like we had several fights and like Johnny's not someone that fights. He kind of like wants to maintain peace, but it's more of like me bringing something up, getting mad at him and him making promises, but never doing anything about it. So one of those fights was with alcohol and just feeling like, why don't you have more control over this? Um, if, if this is how you're going to act or be, then I don't want it in my life. Um, I don't, I don't want this, you know, but he would always promise like, yeah, let's, we made boundaries. We had things set up, but he never stuck to them. So that was frustrating for me, especially since, you know, my dad was the alcoholic and I had to see that in my own life. And so he knew like, this is extremely painful for me, what you're doing. Um, because it's continually bringing up my past. Um, and just how, you know, painful this is. So that was one of the things, Another, you know, and the other thing was just like, why aren't we intimate more? Like, why aren't you pursuing me? Like, um, I feel like the last year before he, before he confessed to me, I just felt like we were more roommates. And I would tell him that. I'm like, I just feel like we're roommates and friends, but nothing more. Like, that's what it, our marriage felt like. Um I mean, I still liked him. We still laughed together. We still hung out. It's not like we were just always yelling at each other, but it just did not feel romantic or like I didn't feel connected in any other way than like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it was just this sad existence. And I remember even thinking like, feeling guilty about this, but like I would sometimes think like it would be better if he just died mm-hmm. and I could like remarry and start over. Yeah. Um later through counseling, you know, I'm realizing like, well, that's my way out because I'm frustrated and I'm confused and I'm, I don't know what's going on. And for me, the only way out of this is like, if he dies, you know, because I don't want to divorce him. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I found myself just fantasizing over like, well, maybe this will happen. Not wanting it, like, but I was just, it shows you how like, how messed up I was because a relationship had taken this spiral down and I did not know what was wrong. Mm -hmm. I really didn't know what was wrong. I was so confused. Johnny, what was happening? So, yeah. So, I mean, behind the scenes, porn just wasn't scratching the same itch, right? Like you just start looking for other avenues to scratch that same itch or to get that same high, I guess, in, in, in ways. And, um, which, led me to just having conversations with, with women, which turned into uh, me cheating on my wife um, with a few women. And 
uh, just, you know, flirting, starting off more innocent and just talking and then flirting and then into being physical with each other. And, um, you know, throughout that entire process, you know, continually feeling more guilt and more shame after every single time and then turning to alcohol to escape that of like, yeah. wow, if I can numb this, like, and not feel so, so crappy, like, wow, this alcohol sure does help. And mm -hmm. wow, I don't even remember last night. That's kind of nice to know that for at least some of those hours, I didn't feel so bad about yeah. myself or yeah. about what I was doing. And so it just became this cycle. Um, and, you know, which turned into fights between Amanda and I about uh, alcohol use and like, you know, she's noticed my habits. So I then eventually began drinking uh, on my own or hiding it and not telling her about it and mm -hmm. finding ways to like, basically embezzle money from our budget and um, buying alcohol and just drinking a ton. I mean, it, it, it began the cycle of lying. I mean, even more so, just more yeah. lying and deceit and hiding. Like, mm -hmm. so much of my energy and time was spent on how do I hide everything. Yeah. Mm. And it just keeps piling up. Yeah. Piling up. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, part of, like, communication issues was, like, you know, Johnny, the best way to not get caught is to not tell her anything. So, like, don't talk. And so, roommate situation, it really was that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I knew, like, the more I talked, the more... You know, she might be like, don't you remember telling me this or like, you know, like all this stuff that like all this memory loss is happening as a result of the, the drinking or even, I mean, there's a lot of evidence towards blackouts because of porn use as well. Just losing large chunks of memory because of you're so engaged in something else. Mm -hmm. And I would just do my best not to talk. Like if I don't talk, then I can't, nothing can be used against me later and, mm -hmm. or I can't, you know, look stupid or be found out. And so that just be kept going until we were um, up north with her family on a vacation and I got uh, pretty drunk twice, uh, two nights. I don't remember if they were in a row or not, but um, her family obviously knew something was going on. I don't know if they would say like, yeah, we knew you were drunk or they'd be like, something obviously is wrong with you. And I was lied to their face, uh, you know, like, no, like this is a medical thing. I, I mean, I, there was a night I will, went to the emergency room because I was extremely drunk and a man was concerned. And at this point I had her convinced that this was all a medical issue. Oh man. And so we go to the emergency room, the doctor, they're giving me an MRI. They're doing all these tests. Like I at any point could be like, I'm just drunk. Like I, oh, this yeah. is, you know, this is all a, a sham. I'm having them run tests on me that are thousands of dollars, you know? And hmm. instead I'm like, Maybe honestly, in my head, I'm thinking maybe they'll find something. Yeah. Maybe they'll find something that I can be like, well, there it is. Like yeah. that's what's go that's what's wrong. You know, th this hope of like this idiot that's like maybe something will save me here. And the Almost doctor was hoping for disease. Oh yeah, praying mm -hmm. like maybe my liver's shut down or maybe yeah. you know maybe I can point to something. And the doctor comes in and is like everything looks great except his blood alcohol content looks pretty bad. And mm. you know. I tell Amanda, like, that's crazy. I only had, like, this one drink and blah, blah, blah. And, like, Amanda is so loving and trusting and is, like, believing me and, like, you know, has my back and all this. And I, I'm bold-faced lying to her. And the doctor, I'm sure, is just like, okay, if that's what you want to think, you know, like, you're not going to mm. fool science. Like, I guess it's possible. Maybe there was some sort of mess up in the lab, but pretty unlikely and yeah. so after that we went on vacation i got really drunk 
her family's like confronting me. I'm realizing like Amanda's going to find out like this. It's all about to come out. She's, she's fighting for me with her family saying, no, it's like this medical thing. Like he's, this is what we've been dealing with. You don't understand. Like he's not doing anything wrong. She has my back this entire time, you know? Mm. And so she, all this is going on and I'm realizing like you are such a scumbag. Mm. And so it's, it's after this trip, um, it's August 6th is my dad's birthday. So at this point, my dad had been dead for seven years. And I, on that day, just remember thinking like, well, you did it. You turned into your dad. Mm. Mm. You're lying to your spouse. You're cheating on her. You've got all this sexual brokenness, like all these things that characterize my dad. That is you. And so that night, I realize like okay she's gonna find out and she can't she can't find out so it's time to time to take my life and um i rearranged my schedule for the next day so i could like do this drive out and my so that way i could kill myself like on the way out there and um i said i remember saying good night to my sons but in my heart i was saying goodbye (laughs) I remember kissing Amanda that night and telling her I loved her so many times and just, you know, this is my way of saying goodbye and realizing like, you know, I'll be gone, but my legacy will be intact. People, I won't be this pastor that's just another, another, you know, hall of shame member. (laughs) Yeah. I won't, I won't have to tell my boys that I failed them this way that I've cheated on their mom. I won't have to, you know, just do... You know, I wanted to, like, tell my youth group kids and leaders at my church, like, I can at least provide for them financially. Like, I have life insurance. Like, they'll be in a better place. Like, this is the best case scenario. Mm. You know, that's that's the lies I'm telling myself. That's what Satan's whispering in my ear. Yeah. And so, the next morning, I, I have to get up early to leave to go to Grand Rapids. And I get up and just, you know, thank God that His mercies are new every morning. And um, I couldn't do it. Mm. I just thought about how hard it would be for Amanda to be with two boys on her own to support them and raise them and just thinking I can't do that to her and then thinking about my boys and thinking of them growing up without their father mm-hmm. and at that point I had you know no idea like I would always be their dad but I didn't know if I would be Amanda's husband but I thought you know at least I can spend the rest of my life pursuing her again and trying to get her to, to take me back if she decided to walk away, which she had every right to. And um, yeah, that's when I conf- and knew like I need to tell her not only about the alcohol because that's what was the most obvious. At that point, I knew I had to tell her everything. Yeah, I had to mm-hmm. come completely clean about every single thing that I was doing. And he did, Amanda. And how did that shake down for you? Um, I mean, I... It's like one of those things, like when you go through trauma, I feel like you just remember the weirdest things, you know, around surrounding that time. And it's just like, I remember that morning drinking my coffee, like holding Javi and taking pictures of him. And um, I just remember like the way my stomach dropped when Johnny said, Amanda, I have to tell you something. And I knew I just had this sinking feeling like something terrible was gonna, he was gonna tell me something terrible. 
And um, it just felt like, I mean, I just got hit with one truth after another, after another, and it just felt like I was being like beaten down. And like everything was just breaking inside of me. And at the same time, I'm trying to keep it together because I have my two boys that are right there in the room. And I just like, I was in so much shock and pain and like, I don't even know. It was just shock of like, this is really our lives right now. Like, like some news story that you hear about and I never thought this would be our story. I never thought he could ever do those things to me. Um, or yeah. And just so many thoughts and emotions going through my head over, you know, you're trying to piece together like everything from your life. Like my marriage felt like a lie to me. I started to think like, who did I marry? Like, I, I just, I was so confused and it was, um, this is such a random fact, but like a week before when we were going up north um, with my family, I had this vision and, and this is before I knew anything. I had a vision in my head of like renewing our vows. Um, and I remember brushing it away and being like, why would we ever do that? Like, it's only people do that when they've been through something like terrible. And I remember as I like drove away from the house, cause I, I just had to leave. That was one of the first thoughts that God put in my heart, put in my mind of just like this, I guess this hope of like, this is where I can take you guys. Um, it, I'm so angry, but at the same time, I believed and knew that like God was going to help heal us. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was like the worst day of my life. Um, the worst probably couple months of like, I mean, it felt like we were drowning and um, we just didn't know like what, what was going to happen with our lives, what was next. Um, and, and me just trying to figure out like what even happened, how, mm-hmm. how did this go so far? So Johnny, you came forward soon after that to your church and you were let go. Yeah. Or did you resign or how did that? Yeah. I mean, on paper I resigned. Yeah. Right. I mean, but chances are yeah. they would have fired me if I'd been like, no, I'm, I'm staying. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I told Amanda, and then within that same day, I told the the lead pastor and the executive pastor, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so yeah. that was that was one confession after another that day. Of, I mean, the, obviously, the worst and hardest was like watching my just destroying my wife with my words mm-hmm. after she's been nothing but faithful and supportive, and mm-hmm. then having to tell my bosses what I had been doing mm-hmm. and the, the double life I had been living. So people who are listening, they maybe have heard of pastors and, you know, may know you guys or have heard of pastors on Christianity Today or whatever. And we hear the fall from grace and really they don't hear the before that you guys just shared. Mm -hmm. They don't hear the heart. They don't hear the upbringing. They don't hear the falling in love story. They don't hear the shattering of the wife or the husband or however it goes down. They hear just the snippet, the Mm -hmm. the 
60 seconds you just gave us right. mm-hmm. the confession and he's out and then we are left swirling around and talking mm-hmm. to each other and some of that you know how do we know if it's gossip or not it's are you part of the problem or the solution and if you're part of the problem which is like basically you guys <laughs> and the pastors <laughs> or the solution are you really not just well we should pray for them but are we actually praying for them so Anyway, that's just an exhortation to us, the church, to just shut it down and assume the best because we don't know this before and we also don't know the after. So I'd love to spend another hour diving into the after, but um, I would just like to hear from both of you, how has God redeemed since then? And Amanda, I'd love to start with you, even just thinking about like, you stayed with this brother and like, how did that redemption work for you? Um. First of all, my parents um, have been through a lot in their own marriage and their example of staying together, I think, has put planted in me way before any of this ever happened that I did not want to divorce. Um, I think after dealing with, you know, my own grief and my anger, I had... um, people that like I know God placed in my life like someone that had a year previously gone through something similar with her husband met up with me at a park and her words just changed me um one of the things she said was Amanda um God is saving your husband right now Hmm. and it shocked me because I'm like what do you mean like he's saving us it feels like he's killing us like um but then, you know, that meaning sunk in of like, he was living and just bound by his sin and held captive by it. And now, like God is in the process of saving him. Um, and that's beautiful yeah. when you think about it, like that God just like, he steps into that mess and he fights for you. Amen. Um, like God could have done so much to Johnny over the years to just like, beat him down but like I look back on it as like God was so loving and patient with him waiting for him to come to repentance and like just the way that we were supported by friends and family and you know we did not we did not just sit back and let things happen like when all of this went down like we fought our hearts like everything inside of us was just fighting like we we went to counseling like this intensive counseling weekend which was like just life changing because it explored his past my past it helped me to see my husband as not a monster but like he's a child of god like he is so loved and he's he's broken just like i'm broken i read prodigal god and i was like so um that just changed my perspective on like we're all lost, you know, but either we're lost in our own self-righteousness, which is just as sad because we don't see it, or we're lost by going against God's plan for our lives. And I saw my husband, yeah, like he was the prodigal son returning to God and he was truly broken, truly repentant. Anyone could see that, that knew him. Um, So I just, I, I could... God was changing my perspective and my heart towards him. Um, 
it all seemed it all came together it all made sense like well this is why i haven't felt connected this is why this is where things went wrong i think the fact that we dealt with so much at the beginning gave me compassion because it's it's i understand it i understand um how it could be one step into another step of sin into another step and like he just got so far um so far off the path um i think understanding porn and the addictive qualities of it like has helped me um just understand and have compassion too um and i'm not saying like there have definitely been days where i am just so angry and i'm i don't handle it well and i've said hurtful things and i've you know i've had to grieve and all this stuff so it's not like every day i'm just like living triumphantly in victory there are days where i I feel like i'm back in hell um but thankfully like we were we did have so many people who have been our cheerleaders Mm -hmm. and who have reminded us to keep our eyes on god and like what Mm -hmm. he's doing Mm -hmm. and what's possible for our marriage you know like and i look back and i i think you know if johnny had such an impact in the years that he was living sinfully how much more of an impact can he have can we have when we're living in truth and in freedom and in victory amen so yeah how about for you johnny how is god redeemed yeah i mean you know for me amanda i mean kind of alluded to it i just felt like a monster you know i i mentioned like it i felt like i had turned into my dad and now i felt like like i knew i was this fraud you know preaching and, and teaching and trying to help kids like and students understand like you know sexual brokenness is a real thing i mean we had a month every year where we talked about sex to help them like essentially not fall into the trap that i was in um and uh you know when it, when it all came out and i've just I was just sitting in this, like, my filth of, like, and now everyone sees it. You know, mm. an email was sent out of, about why I was leaving, and it was really general. just said, like, uh, sexual immorality and drinking was involved, essentially. And what that leaves people is whatever they want to assume and what their perception of me was. Um, so if you thought highly of me, I mean, we had people t- telling Amanda, like, it was just, it was pro- just porn, right? You know, like, because they they love me and they think super highly of me to who knows. I mean, I know there are people being like, was he gay? Like, what was he doing? Was he, you know, like, was he visiting prostitutes? Like, thankfully the email did say, you know, no minors or students were involved. So that was nice, I guess that that was like blatantly stated, but you know, people just get to assume like, and what was their opinion of me before? And that's where they get to go with it. Like either Mm -hmm. high or low or, you know, wherever. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, we had a, a couple come to our house that was just saying, to, that, that said, like, Johnny, you're not a monster. And told Amanda, like, he believes everything he spoke from that stage. Like, he's not, like, this flim-flam man that was, like, trying to, like, you know, scam all these students and scam, like, his boss or scam. He's, he believes what everything, but he was, like Amanda shared, like, just trapped in sin and not getting help and not seeking the, the freedom that and the confession that he needed and yeah, uh her, i think too her words were like you're not your addiction your mm-hmm. addiction is where you struggle but it doesn't it's not who you are yeah. 
yeah, which was so freeing for me and so helpful for me to even even viewing myself like, okay, you're not this. Because, you know, at that point, I'm just a mess and broken and, you know, just believing the worst things about yourself because you're not getting great feedback at that point, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's yet, you know, there's not as many people around you at that point being like, no, like, God's got this and you're going to be great. Like, most of the time was spent with Amanda, who I had just unbelievably hurt. And, you know, like she shared, she was broken and hurting and grieving and had questions. And I had to, for days and weeks and months, continue to break her heart as she asked questions and wanted more clarity. And um, it was it was so healing to have those words spoken over me. It's like, you are not your addictions. You are not those things. You are, you still believe those things. And I knew, I think I did, but it took someone, it took community of someone in, that was part of our community to say those words to me for me to actually get it and understand it. Mm. So if someone had come to you while you were in your kind of just in the middle of the performance, Mm -hmm. like you hadn't confessed and they just said, you know, Johnny, you are not a monster. Or Johnny, you are not your addiction. Obviously, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have said that because I didn't know you had one. But mm-hmm. it's it's kind of in this space where where your your performance is shattered, you know, and, and as you said, you like you, you were just seen kind of in your filth. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just get the picture of you just like sitting in the mud, in the muck, just completely downcast. And for, for someone to come to you guys both in the midst of that pain at that point, uh, full of shame, mm-hmm. where where they say, Johnny, this is not you. You are not your dad. You are not a monster. You are not your addiction. Mm-hmm. And reminding you your identity in Christ and, yeah. and the fact that the work that you had been doing was not just null and void because right. you weren't living perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, would you have been able to accept that or would those words have meant anything if you hadn't confessed? Yeah. I mean, no. Right. Because I, I hadn't, I'm not in the light at that point. Like if someone had come up to me and you know, you, you kind of let people in a little bit when you start sharing, like, Oh, I just, I'm feeling down or I'm feeling this, or, you know, I, you know, sharing about work. Like, I just don't feel like I'm a good leader or I would say that a lot. Like, I don't think I'm doing, I'm the best person for this job. I feel like I'm not performing like I need to and sharing that with coworkers and bosses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm really alluding to bigger things that were going on in my life. But, you know, they tried to remind you of like, oh, well, you know, they'd probably say those exact words like, hey, you're not your failures or you're not, you know, your, your, you know, shortcomings. And while those things were like good to hear, I guess, in the moment, they were not as powerful because they only knew just a sliver of what, you know, I was actually dealing with. There was still the, if they only knew, they wouldn't. Oh, yeah. Then they'd be like, oh, actually, just kidding. You are a monster. But, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't honestly don't think they would say that. But it's what, you know, the lies that you tell yourself, obviously, Mm -hmm. at that point. So are you doing better? Like, how's the how's the light (laughs) doing? I'm just saying that's going to be a question in people's minds. You know, like, how are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I, I think as people will be able to tell. I'm married to one of the greatest humans. Mm. I mean, I have a wife that 
was willing to work through it. Like she took the hard route. She didn't take the easy route. The easy route in a lot of ways would have been see ya. Like have fun paying child support. You know, like good luck on your own. Have fun living in your filth. I'm I'm out. You gave me biblical reason to peace out and I'm taking it. And because I have that kind of support from her and her willingness to work and then the counseling and then, uh, you know, getting in accountability, I call a friend uh, five days a week, every morning at 6.15. Shout out to my friend, Nate. Um, he has been incredible and instrumental in my life in so many ways. Just someone that I know I'm going to talk to and share with and say and ask each other questions like, you know, how, what did you read in your Bible? What, are you struggling anywhere when it comes to sexual temptation? Have you, like, spent... Uh, significant time with like your your wife and kids you know those are the three things we run through every morning just to like check in and and then we catch up to and talk but i mean the fact that i have that kind of support not only from my wife uh community we had members of a small group we were a part of that really supported us during this time which was huge um all those things i'm i'm in such a better place and the freedom is unbelievable um to have all these things out and the weight l- lifted off my shoulders is unreal. I didn't feel it right away because it was just hard. I'm like, <laughs> and now I have to deal with a lot of consequences. But now, I mean, we're in a place where it's like, wow, I actually get to talk to my wife now and mm. like communicate. And all those, all, you know, all those endorphins that I used to get um, from looking at pornography are now met with her and like my, my addiction is no longer to pornography it's to my wife like the connection that was supposed to be this whole time is now being repaired and reformed mm. and and in such a better place um now that healing has taken place and now that confession is taking place and things are in the light mm. praise god you guys just thank you so much for sharing your heart so vulnerably and beautifully and helping us as the church to not just get the headline mm-hmm. and for us to go and turn, but to hear the heart line, the yeah. heart driver mm-hmm. behind it. Thank yeah. you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you guys just for even giving us this opportunity because I, I think you're right. People will just look at the pastor and think of the headline, you know, and reduce them to. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're this sin, and yeah. that's mm-hmm. and that's hard not to do. I'll I'll be honest. Like yeah. even when you hear in the secular world when someone's done something really crappy, you're like, oh well, they're this, and you discount anything they've ever done yeah. mm-hmm. because of that. And that's what happens to so many pastors that uh, have walked a similar path. Like, and I'm sure there are people that think that of me. Well, Johnny's this, and forget like, and I forget too. I I can fall into the trap of like, oh yeah, a lot of kids. Lives were changed. Eternities were changed because of yep. the ministry that I was a part of and because of the investment that my wife and I had in their life or leaders had in their life. And, you know, I think it's it's important for so many people that, yeah, don't get to do the aftercare. I think when they hear the the confession and the details, it's so easy to stay in the, that person sucks. Yeah. And they they don't get to talk to Amanda or I later. They don't go to counseling with us. They don't get to hear, they don't work through anything. So they're just left with, man, that guy sucks, right? Mm-hmm. We don't like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm grateful to, for this opportunity to, for anyone that does hear this, that we may know that maybe gets a glimpse into this. Mm-hmm. I want to say, if you are listening to this and we know you, we love you. We miss you. Yeah. Um, 
sorry that I failed you, but God is is restoring me and us. And um, I pray that he's doing the same for you in your own life. Amen, amen. Mm-hmm. Can I just share one thought? Yes, with, please. Um, okay. Um, I think when we when we think of leaders and just them falling and how disappointing and hard that can be um, and just shocking for people, I think remember the Bible is full of so many stories that are shocking and crazy and just like, why is this here? And why is this in the Bible? We have so many leaders in the Bible, like David and Solomon and Jacob. I mean, the entire nation of Israel. Um, I mean, you could just go on and on. Peter, Paul, um, of people that God chose in leadership that really messed up with lying, deceit, murder, adultery. I mean, you name it, like just crazy stuff. Um, and they, it could have been left out of the Bible, but it's in there. It's not hidden. And I think it just shows us like this sin problem is in every one, even mm-hmm. leaders, especially leaders. I feel like they're more vulnerable to attack and to temptation and to isolation. Sin thrives in isolation. And mm-hmm. when you're a leader, you are isolated. And so... I think leadership in the church, like, I mean, you just, you need to not be in isolation. You need accountability. You need someone like Nathan who will approach David and check him when he's out of line. Mm. Um, I don't think that, you know, a lot of leaders have that kind of support and that kind, those kind of people that aren't afraid to like step in. And tell you how it is if they see something out of line. I think people are scared. So all that to say, like, if there are leaders that do things in your life that are shocking, I mean, this is the reality of the broken world that we're in. And Mm -hmm. just a reminder that, like, they're people and it's in the Bible. And it's just like, <laughs> I mean, you we look have an at... opportunity to respond and how Jesus would respond to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, the redemption part, what you guys are talking about, is that, yeah, leaders are susceptible and we can mm-hmm. say the story's done when the headline is written, but mm-hmm. there is redemption that's happening. And guys, listeners, friends, family... I don't usually do this. I don't know if I've ever done this, but if you're listening and you're sensing the spirit wrecking your own life and you you didn't cry, I'd be surprised (laughs) because we're all crying in here. But I would just love if you would share this with a friend. If there was someone that came to mind, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's someone you're like, man, maybe when they said, you know, life's hard right now, you're like, maybe there's something more. And you're like, hey, this could be something, it could be nothing, but I just want you to know, I love you, brother, pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if you know of someone who's wrestling with pornography and feeling just tons of shame, just hearing, just y'all's leaning in. And I loved what you were saying, Amanda. You just fought. You fought. So whether you are married or not, just fighting Mm -hmm. for God's image to be really seen in and through you. And who you are is not your brokenness. Mm -hmm. Who you are is not your struggles. And so... 
um, listen and, and share this with someone uh, because I honestly believe that this podcast is a tool in the hands of God to mm-hmm. break down barriers mm-hmm. uh, that the enemy is wanting to put up. Who knows how long we'll be able to do it in this dark world. But I'm like, man, for as long as we can, guys, let us link arms and let's do let's go to war. Mm-hmm. OK, guys, this is Lori again in present day. I just love their story. And uh, we're actually going to invite them back in the fall to uh, follow up with their story. They've actually had a lot of couples uh, get sent to them and they're walking alongside uh, people. If, uh, you know, one of them has cheated uh, in a marriage, they, Johnny and Amanda are helping them. Okay, what are first steps, next step? Uh, Or if there's issues with connecting physically um, with marriages sexually, they're walking with them too. And so I just love that and can't wait for you guys to hear some of their advice and how they're stepping into more of kind of a mentoring role with us in some events that we are doing actually coming up early September. But guys, if you want to connect with them or anything that we're doing, training, coaching, etc., you can find us at lauricreek.com. Just click on connect and we will get you resourced up. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. And we are going to keep this train rolling next week with another broken and beloved pastor, Brad Claver. Yes. Ooh, can't wait to hear his story again. Okay, for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, guys, we'll see you next week. <laughs>